0: Hey everyone, welcome to Just Mental Health with Stephan M, the podcast where we discuss mental health through a social justice lens. I'm Emily.
1: And I'm Stephanie. A quick disclaimer before we get started, we are mental health professionals, but this is not to be taken as professional advice.
0: We are also aware that our privilege may cloud our perspective on some topics, and we not only welcome, but encourage you to message us with criticism and correction. Let's get started. Our business... Small business shout out is Tantric Twins Crystals. Um, so, Stephanie's cousin Savannah owns this business. Um, so, they sell crystals um, that they've found themselves um, in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, they are handmade, so they uh, like handmade jewelry all genuine crystals. So I have the Instagram pulled up. So it looks like they have little pendants, like necklaces, earrings, and they look really cool. Um, So if you're interested in checking out her crystals and her jewelry, uh, the Instagram is tantric twins, T-A-N-T-R-I-C-T-W-I-N-S.
1: Great. So today we um, we have a guest with us. Yay! I love the episodes where we have a guest. And today we have Laura Chamberlain. So she is a licensed professional clinical counselor, a licensed professional art therapist, and a board certified art therapist. She has a BA in visual arts, a master's in psychology. And she's currently working at the Norton Cancer Institute in Kentucky um, as an art therapist. And then she's also an artist in her own time. So she's here to talk with us today about art therapy and, and things about it and how it can be used to help people and, and just everything uh, surrounding that. So thank you so much, Laura, for, for being on our podcast.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I just think it's an honor to be here and talk about art therapy and I'm excited.
0: Yeah, and and Laura is um, a friend of mine from when I used to live in Louisville and she's one of the uh, most awesome people I know. Oh, I'm really excited to have her on here. (laughs) so
2: sweet. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm jazzed that you all invited me onto this. Um, I think it's important to talk about social justice issues. Um, especially regarding um psychology and the patients we work with. And it's just it's important.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, well, I was gonna ask, just first of all, like, so you do art yourself. You are an artist. Um mm-hmm. but what drew you into becoming an art therapist?
2: That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was funny for a long time. I didn't even know that art therapy existed, but throughout my whole life, whenever I was going through something difficult, um, I would always turn to art making. Um, and it was the one thing that I knew I could do. Um, I was terrible at math as a kid. Um, I don't think I learned to read until I was like six or seven. So I was a little behind. And, um, for some reason I just knew I could always draw, I could always paint, um, so it, it was something I could rely on and it was a kind of refuge for me. Um, it brought me a lot of comfort. Um, I was also a really introverted and awkward kid. And so I knew that if I made art, it just made me feel better about myself. Um, and it was just this lovely kind of safe place that I could go to create. Um, and I just loved using my imagination and my creativity.
0: Oh, so you so you are like art was like already something that you enjoyed doing and was really meaningful for you personally and then apply it to work with clients
2: yeah so um I just to backtrack a little bit I got my BA in visual art and then I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with it um in passing in conversation somebody mentioned art therapy and then I did my research Um, and found a program, um, a graduate school program, where I could get um, my master's in psychology and uh, with an emphasis in art therapy. Um, So it it just kind of went from there. Um, But I love being able to use the visual language um, as well as discussion to really help people open up and talk about their thoughts and feelings. Cool. So...
1: That's awesome. Um, Thank you. I think it's, you know, I'm not visually artistic at all, um, but I like doing it. Emily can paint. She's actually really good at painting, even though she I says she's I not.
2: I think uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to see some of your paintings. Yeah, you
1: should, you should look at, she's got one. She made this one for me in that, the background. Huh. Nobody in the podcast can see it, but I Laura like- can <laughs>
2: It's lovely it's lovely yeah but she's she's good
1: um but I'm not like visually I'm more I guess like um like I do theater and stuff and and like singing but
2: yeah it's still a great great art form
1: yeah and it's it is so therapeutic like Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why I started doing it and one and one of my coping skills is doing that and getting that creative outlet and um there is a, there's this meditative state that you go into sometimes when you're doing your art that mm-hmm. is just so freeing and relaxing. And, um, and so I know that there's, you know, there's that benefit. There's the creative outlet. Know, there's
2: actually, there's actually a term for that called the flow state.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I, I want to, I'm trying to remember the person's last name who coined that term, but, Um, you can really help people go into that kind of meditative space through different art therapy directives. Um, And it's really beneficial for reducing stress.
1: That's cool. That's good to know uh, the term because I've always just, you know, called it like mindfulness or meditation, but which it is, but flow state, that's, Mm -hmm. that's good to know that that's what that Experiences that
0: definitely happens to me when I'm painting. Like I get so into it, and I can't. So oh, like, even sometimes I'm painting with other people, and I start to like get annoyed if they talk to me because I'm like, I'm <laughs> in my flow state. Like, don't talk to me. Right
2: yeah, now. yeah. And then yeah. like a big part of my work is I'll go into the clinics where people are getting chemotherapy, um, and as you'd expect, there's a lot of anxiety and stress involved in that. So. Um, A big part of my work is helping people to kind of get into that space where um, they can find that calm kind of inner refuge. Um, And what I think is so fascinating with the art is that there are certain directives and certain materials um, that can really encourage that kind of self soothing. Um, So one thing I love to do is teach patients how to finger knit or how to crochet Um, or how to use watercolor paint to kind of get into a rhythm. Um, And especially with the fiber arts, they're so soft. And when you really figure out how to do a stitch, um, the repetition gets you in this wonderful kind of flow um, that's good not only for your mind, but for your nervous system. Um, It can be really, really soothing and calming. Cool.
1: Cool. Yeah, a few things, like just hearing you talk about that, a few things popped up. Well, the first is how great things like art therapy and music therapy are um, to use in conjunction, especially in situations like someone's getting chemotherapy. I mean, yeah, talk about stress. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, because that is not only a therapy, but now you're teaching them coping skills that they can just use for, for anything going forward and throughout their treatment. And so it's not just, okay, we're going to sit and talk about how you feel, but um, we're also going to express it. And now you have a skill that you can take with you and, and use at any time that you need. And I think that's really cool. Um, oh, hands on for clients.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also validating to them that you are still capable. You're still able to learn. um, And it gives them a sense of control during a time where they feel a lot of times helpless or like their body is a bit out of their control. Um, So that's another benefit of art therapy. Um, And, and when, when it comes to cancer, there is a lot of, a lot of helplessness and uncertainty because you know, patients don't know how the chemotherapy is is going to impact their system. Um, sometimes they have neuropathy. Um, they frequently have short-term memory loss. Um, there's one thing that almost all my patients talk about is the inability to access certain words. Um, a lot of times it'll impact people's balance. Um, so there's just a lot of things going on that are not... Um, that are just, that are just basically difficult for them to hold. Um, and so it's nice to show them that there's still this part of you that is very capable and very able and creative and alive.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. that's definitely like, I mean, I can imagine like people who are going through chemotherapy, like they feel like they, they probably feel like you said, just no control, like their bodies just like Mm-hmm. defeating the like they're like they don't they just feel like defeated mm-hmm. and uh, like you being someone that can like show them that like they do have control and they do have the ability to sort of like express themselves through art that's really really cool
2: thank you that's my hope um and sometimes too the art just functions as a distraction you know you need sometimes to block out everything around you um so it kind of gives them an escape um So there's different levels that you can use art therapy. Um, One is just kind of an escape or a distraction. Another is um, like reducing anxiety or helping people to express their thoughts and feelings. But you can even go deeper with improving um, self-awareness and really like helping somebody dig into who am I? Um, What are my strengths? What do I believe? you know, what, what are the core things in my life that bring me meaning to help me get through this, this trauma?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. The things that really ground you as you're going Mm -hmm. through something that definitely has the ability to leave you feeling ungrounded.
2: Yeah. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty around cancer treatment. Um, And one of the uh, really unfortunate side effects is that a lot of people experience neuropathy. And so their fingers sometimes will get really tingly. Um, Their feet uh, may fall asleep. Um, They may lose some sense of feeling. So um, that's often really frustrating. And in those cases, you know, we can still do some art. Um, Sometimes I'll do fingerprint art. Um, Sometimes, you know, we can do model magic so they can still have a sensory experience Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not even always about making art it's really about the process Mm -hmm. so um does it help you relax does it help you um get more in tune with your body
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay yeah i i like that um you know that sensory um component to it and the The process, but also just the being able to make something, complete something, have something tangible, Um, because like you said, and we had um, we've had someone on here that has talked about like working with clients with chronic pain. And I've recently had quite a lot of clients with chronic pain or um, I've recently become disabled. And so there's that grief involved with that. Um, But, you know, one of the things that they um, all really express is that is the loss of this is who I I was. And these were the things that I could do. And now Mm -hmm. there's so many things I can't do. So who am I? You know, because a lot of what I feel like a lot of abled people identify themselves with what they do. And so then when you can't do certain things anymore, it's like, well, then who, what's left? Who am I? But there's still a person there. There's still everything else about you. You know, what you do, uh, whether you can mow the, the yard or not, is not who you are as a person, is not your humanity. And art and doing those things not only can you complete something and now it's like, look what you did, you were able to do this. Um, Mm -hmm. but it expresses a deeper part of the person.
2: Sure. I think that really helping them hold on to their sense of identity is so vital. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, because as a patient who is having all of these things happen to your body, um, and most of them are painful or uncomfortable, um, you can really start to lose that connection to your deeper self. Um, and sometimes you even experience a kind of medical objectivity or, or uh, your, I guess, medical, you're objectified almost because you're in this body and people are doing things to you. Your um,
0: body, but not like you're seen as like a, like a like body a, to guess, rather than.
2: Yeah. Like a body to treat. Um, and you can kind of feel a little bit lost underneath that. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's really important to let the patient know that I see who they are and to help them recognize who they are beyond, um, their cancer diagnosis or what medications they're taking or what side effects they have. And, um, another huge side effect is just exhaustion. And so, you know, they, um, like Steph was saying, they can't do things that they used to be able to do like really simple things sometimes. Um, so I have to remind them, there's this really great quote that I heard and I'm not sure who said it, but, um, we are human beings, not human doings.
1: Mm -hmm. That's it. That Uh, is a good one.
2: (laughs) And our value is not in how productive we can be, but, you know, in who we are and what we love and what brings us meaning uh, and how we care about other people. Um, So I try and gently remind people of that. Um, But the art can also remind them of who they are in a really deep level. Um, Maybe I'll have somebody draw a picture or paint an image um, of a safe place or their favorite kind of day. and that will just kind of remind them who they are at their core. Because mm-hmm. um, it's 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 easy, I think, to kind of fall into this position of cancer patient. Um, and that can be like cancer warrior, or it can also just be like, I'm really sick and tired. Um, so it's so important to help them reconnect to their sense of self. Mm-hmm
0: very very cool and I was gonna ask um what some of the techniques that you use are so it sounds like one is like having them uh draw or paint like Mm -hmm. like their happy place or like a place that or a day that you know makes them feel good or feel calm or at peace like what are some of the other techniques
2: sure um, so there is, uh, an art therapy, art therapy directive called favorite kind of day an FKD drawing. Um, and that helps you get to know the patient and it also helps the patient remind them about what brings them joy. Um, another kind of intro directive that I'll do to help somebody get into a more creative, imaginative space. Um, I'll fold a piece of paper in half and I'll have the image of a front door, like on the front of a card. And then I'll ask them to think about, You know, if you could open any door and find something or someone or a place, or maybe it's a feeling, what would be behind that door? Um, And it helps me quickly understand what they value. um, And I think it also reminds them of what brings them meaning. Um, So that's one that I really enjoy doing. Um, And then I can do other simple things too, like just just beating a necklace sometimes is really soothing for people Mm -hmm. Uh, because again, there's that rhythm and there's that repetition that gets them in that flow state. Mm -hmm. Um, Another part of my work is um, doing what's called legacy art. I don't know if you all have heard of that, but um, it's with patients that have metastatic cancer um, and are closer to end of life. Um, And the idea is, to help them leave their unique mark for their family, for their loved ones, for their friends. Um, So one directive that I really love to do is I do the silhouette of an acacia tree, um, but I leave the top part of the tree blank. And then I have the patient put their fingertips in ink and they do uh, little fingerprints for the crown of the tree for the leaves. Um, and so patients, so patients' families then have this, um, this art piece that holds their, their touch, um, and their unique. Oh, great. Yeah. I think it's so, we need something tangible to hold on to. Um, and it's important that we can give that to the people we love, um, Another example of legacy art that I do is, I'll have patients um, sign their name or write a really sweet note or message in their handwriting, and then we'll trace that on fabric, and then either I will embroider it or I'll help or they'll embroider it depending on um, their ability level, um, and then you know we have this lovely message that's in their handwriting that's captured, um, oh. so. Yeah. So those are some of the things that I get to do. Um,
1: You know, I think those, those are so interesting and just really what, what great ideas, you know, not only, so the family have, has something, but a lot of times, like when you're working people at the end of life, or even just people, older adults, you know, um, 66 and up, they're in that Mm -hmm. stage of development where it's sort of like that, you know, okay, am I, is my leaving something behind? Am Mm -hmm. I, is part of me continuing Um, or, you know, the the generativity. And so to be able to have something that they can say, like, yeah, there's just because I'm gone, I'm not, That's not the end of me and that's not the end of my memory. And there's something that, my loved ones can hold on to. Mm-hmm. And cause I know a lot of, a lot of people who are dying. One of the things that they express their biggest concern is what's going to is how are the people that I love going to feel when I'm gone They're you know, they're worried about the people in their lives grieving for them. Yeah. And so them having something to give to leave um, yeah. can give a I sense like- of peace
2: yeah. And I think it's so important that there's something tangible to hold that connects you to that loved one. Um, another example of, of things I'll do sometimes is I'll take um, somebody's t-shirt and I'll sew it into a pillow so that somebody can just kind of hold that. Yes. So it just, I think as human beings, we need things to hold and touch that remind us of our loved ones. Mm-hmm. And and it, the great thing is that it gives comfort both to the patient that is about to pass and also to the people that they care about. Um, so that's one, one of the parts of my work that I love. It's also really heavy, um, but at the same time, it's, it's really rewarding. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. That's so cool. I and mean, it's so interesting. Thank you. Um,
1: did you have a so, yeah, I do have a question just to, kind of change the subject just a little bit. Um, do you ever have people, you know, who maybe they've never done any craft, any art before they start doing this and suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, you're an artist. Like you're talented, you know, they have kind of this hidden talent come out.
2: Um, you know, I, I, it's neat with my work that sometimes I will see people surprise themselves. Um, Like maybe they'll paint something that has more meaning or symbolism than they thought. Um, But, you know, I think being an artist takes a lot of work and a lot of time. So I I don't kind of see any like miraculous kind of gift that just appears. But Mm -hmm. I think the amazing moments for me are when I see somebody paint something and then all of a sudden they look at it and they say, oh, wow, this really represents this feeling and where I'm at in my life, um, or you know, seeing this red really kind of reiterates and mirrors back to me that I am in this traumatic space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the canvas and the page can really be a kind of mirror um, to really validate what somebody's going through.
0: Yeah, because I think with art, a lot of times it's seen as like something you have to be good at or something you have to like judge mm-hmm. by your skill but mm-hmm. what it sounds like you're doing is is you're helping people see that it's a coping strategy and it's a it's a mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's like help you process things and it's not um
2: and it's a language right it's the yeah. visual language
0: it's more than just like, are you good at it? Oh, you're not good at it. You shouldn't do it. Like you can get so yeah. much work out of it than yeah. just like.
2: And yeah. you know, it is, I'm glad that you mentioned that. It is a hurdle because people will have this kind of internal critic where they're like, I'm not good at art. Maybe they had a bad experience in school where somebody told them that their drawing was terrible. Um, and I have to really work with them to be open and to let themselves experiment and not judge their work because it's really more about a release. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's about self-expression and then also just a way to help yourself open up and relax and have an interesting sensory experience um, and really just kind of feel the materials and get into it. Um, So I always tell them it's it's not about the product. It's not about making something look hyper-realistic. Um, it's really about being with yourself and using the art to help you express your feelings and build self-awareness and hopefully find some comfort.
0: Yeah. And the way you described that as it, it being like a mirror, like self-awareness, like what ends up on your canvas or your piece of paper or whatever, and and then you see it and you're like, oh, wow, like that's that's me. That's like mm-hmm. a part of me that I hadn't discovered until it's right in front of me.
2: Yeah. And it can be really validating because, you know, sometimes you're like, okay, maybe I feel a little bit sad or frustrated, but if you find just the right color or just the right image that captures that, um, it really holds a space for that feeling. Um, -hmm. it helps you reflect on really what's going on inside of you.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And just to kind of bring this up, because like every time I think of art therapy, I think of, painting but you know you had mentioned before that there's other things that you help people with and that's probably even just a small amount of what would fall under art therapy um Mm -hmm. so like kind of how broad is that what what would be considered art therapy what would fall under that
2: uh you know i mean that's a great question it's really things that are sensory experiences so um you can do collage, you can do clay, you can do ink, um, really almost any mark on a page mm-hmm. that is not, you know, using written language or math, any mark on a page can be considered art therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing too is it's like, even if patients say, oh, I can't do art or I'm terrible at art, you know, just signing their name or doing their fingerprint, that is art and it's a starting point. Um, and just making a mark mm-hmm. on a page. Um, Cause really that's saying, you know, I'm here, I exist. Um, and it's also showing, you know, I'm able, I'm capable. Um, yeah. So I, I just, I love, I love the arts. I just think it opens a door um, to who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really try and help people to access that inner imagination and creativity and build that self-awareness.
0: It opens the door to who we are in a way that talking or writing like a journal, you know, like like actual words can't really do.
2: And I I think that's very well said. Um, I, I believe really that the visual language is our most primal, basic language even before we're able to speak. Mm-hmm. so there's something to it that is just so powerful and innate
1: mm-hmm. to us as
2: human beings wow
1: that's a really good point that I hadn't thought about before like uh, that's how la- language started visually first mm-hmm. you know and um and there are languages based on that mm-hmm. but there's also that you know when uh, kind of like with um with like play therapy and you know, it's very much like let's get kids playing because that is how they learn. That is their therapy. That that's a kid's job. But there's yeah. definitely a part of that for adults where we need to play too. We need to address that inner kid. The cool yeah. thing about art is it can also it's also playing. Um,
2: for sure, and, and I think the sensory experience part of art therapy can really do that. Um, one of the things I love to do is bring in model magic as kind of an, um, an introduction. And it's basically like this really soft, clean clay that is, uh, feels a little bit like a marshmallow and silly putty put together. Um, but it just helps people to get into their sense of curiosity and their sense of play and touch and feel. Um, and it gets them connected into how feelings and their physical body are kind of intertwined.
1: Yes yes how it's all you're all the same person it's all the same thing yeah. and it goes mm-hmm. together and mm-hmm. like when you said you know you had mentioned medical trauma i i think that that's something that often gets overlooked when we talk about trauma it's not usually the first thing people talk about but if you go through any extensive medical procedure or if you were in the hospital a lot or if you have a if you have to be treated for any chronic illness or anything like that there's a level of trauma that comes with that and just like you talked about going through chemotherapy is extremely traumatic physically emotionally mentally of course it's something that a lot of people for them they're choosing to do because it's better than the alternative they're hoping to get better but it's still an experience that their body remembers and they're having to carry with them. And so, you know, yeah, being able to connect um, it's, you know, it's very easy as you probably know, to disassociate through traumatic events, but that can also cause a lot of issues. um, If you're, if you're disassociating all the time, and if you're getting chemo three times a week and you know, you're, you're just disassociating, then there's this part of not, I'm not listening to and paying attention to your body and what's going on. So being able to connect all of that, the mind, the, the, the inner person and the physical aspects um, is really cool. Not something you always do. You always do in talk therapy.
2: Yeah. I think that's a really important point. I really want to help them be aware of their body and be able to listen to their body um, and to voice how their trauma is impacting their sense of self. And I'm, I always just validate that it is a huge trauma to go through cancer, to lose your hair, um, and to not live the life that you had before. I always tell them it's like your life is on pause mm-hmm. um, until you get through it. And your life is never the same again. A lot of people think once you're in remission, oh, everything is great. Um, but I think every cancer survivor I've talked to discusses that there's always a fear of reoccurrence. Um, and your body is just never the same. So you have to learn how to live in this new body that's been affected by cancer and cancer treatment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that that makes total sense that like, it has a, such an impact on your life and your body that like, you know, probably like the hope, like, it's like the fantasy to like, you know, be done with treatment and be in remission. And then your life's back, you know, right back as it was before, but you know, helping them see that, you know, that's likely not the reality. Um,
2: and the other piece too, is that it's often an invisible kind of disability. So there's people walking around that you would never know are cancer survivors, but it is impacting who they are, how they interact with the world. Maybe their short-term memory is never the same. Maybe there are parts of their body that doesn't have feeling anymore. Maybe they're living with chronic pain. Um, Maybe they have you know a fear of of going to the doctor or of getting sick. Um, so there are all these things that people live with, and you know unlike other disabilities it, it's it's one that you can't see and so people are holding that um, and also often feeling pretty maybe isolated, and other people just don't know.
0: yeah, like misunderstood or like there's something they carry with them, but it's not something mm-hmm. that people see yeah mm-hmm. um. Um, so we we talked a little bit um, before we started recording about discussing social justice issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to make sure we leave some time for that. Um, I'm yeah. So what sort of social justice issues show up in your work?
2: Um, so there's a couple big ones that come to mind. Um, One of the biggest ones is people really stressing out about their medical bills. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have patients that say, you know, it would be great if I didn't have to work, but I have to work to keep my health insurance so that I can Mm -hmm. um, pay my medical bills. And and these are patients sometimes that are stage four that have horrible quality of life and they still feel like they have to keep working.
0: Oh, God, that makes me Um, (laughs)
2: Yeah, I mean, it it breaks your heart. And it's so frustrating, because cancer and cancer treatment, they're both such huge stressors as it is, that when you pile financial stress on top of that, you know that it has an impact on their health, um, and their well being and their quality of life. Um, So that to me is this huge issue. And I think we really need to look at it as a society and say, are we really okay that there are cancer patients in this position every day.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Healthcare. That's always, I mean, that's such a a hot topic and it's been that way for a long time, but you, we do, I think sometimes forget um, it's it's not just, Oh, people need Medicaid or Medicare so they can go to the doctor. It's people are going into debt are losing Mm -hmm. their uh, their life savings they're losing their household because they're trying to survive cancer. Um, well, they have the
2: fear of losing those things, uh-huh. which makes them not take the FMLA, which makes them keep working because they just don't want that fear of being in debt or having those medical bills impacting their credit score and keeping them from buying a house or living a better quality of life. So-
1: Yeah. They don't want to leave the debt to their families or, you know, put that strain on them. Um, And not everyone is in a position. They may be the only person in their family that can work. And now they're having to fight cancer. And so, yeah, it's one of those things. Um, You don't always, you know, people sometimes are like, well, if you took better care of yourself, you wouldn't have gotten sick. But cancer happens to everybody, anybody, you don't have yeah, I mean, to do anything to get it. Sometimes it no. just happens.
2: I mean, sometimes you just, people will just get some rare cancer out of nowhere. Um, and sometimes I think, I think there's studies like the ACE studies, aversive childhood events, um, where it showed that if you just have childhood trauma, enough of those events can impact your health and lead to things like mm-hmm. that comes from inflammation. And we know inflammation Um, is is connected to stress and trauma yeah Um, the other piece too is I run into patients who will say um, and it's usually patients that don't have great health insurance will say oh um, my health insurance decided that this medicine or this treatment was not medically necessary
0: Um,
2: and you know it may be a treatment that they need to feel stronger or to have more energy um, and so you have to kind of sit with that and hold that and, you know, it's unjust, um, and you can try and advocate for the patient and the doctors can then try and advocate for them with their insurance companies, but it's still a battle.
1: Um, right. There's only so much you can do f- f- in your position. It, it, the responsibility goes back to the insurance companies. And mm-hmm. so, that feeling, I mean, that's a helplessness that you feel working with these people that you're getting to know that you're caring about, just like we do with all of our clients.
2: Yeah. So really like, I, I'm glad to have the opportunity to talk about it on this podcast um, because that is a more difficult aspect um, of the work. And I think one thing that needs to change or one thing that helps it, this kind of unhealthy system continue is that the people in the insurance companies who are rejecting these things or saying it's not medically necessary they don't have to look into the eyes of the patient and see their worry and their fear and their questioning of you know why can't i have this thing that i need
0: yeah they have no idea that's that's not their job they're not trained they're not medically trained they're not trained in you know as medical professionals as therapists <laughs> they don't they have no idea what they're talking about
2: yet they're the well, ones and- yeah. And the system is very compartmentalized so that people that make these hard decisions don't have to see who it impacts. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Right. Cause that would be a very different system, wouldn't it? You know, if they had to meet these people, say it to their face, work with them, get to mm-hmm. know them, it'd be harder to deny things because that's the way, you know, human beings connect with each other. And that's why there there's such a separation.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think that that separation, though, that the disturbing part is that is somewhat intentional Mm so that the system can keep going the way that it does. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Another piece I want to talk about, um, and it's changing gears a little bit, but um, COVID is raging uh, right now, especially in some of these southern states. Um, And the patients that I work with are immunocompromised and they're terrified of getting COVID. And some of them, their immune system is not strong enough to get the vaccine. Um, and so for me, it's really infuriating when there are people that won't get the vaccine and they're putting patients that I work with in danger. Um, and I just want people to know that just because you don't see these people or you don't interact with them in your life, um, it doesn't mean that they're not there and they're not scared. and they want people to get a vaccine so that they can live another day
0: yeah or just because you might not be at a COVID risk doesn't mean that you couldn't pass it on to these people and people forget about that and they think about themselves yeah
2: Yeah. i mean okay maybe you're okay but what if you're a carrier Mm -hmm. um or maybe you get covid and it kind of gives you common cold symptoms And maybe you forget to wash your hands or you're not wearing a mask and you accidentally breathe on one of these patients. Um, That's the difference between life or death for them, especially the patients that are stage four. Um,
1: Wow. Yeah, right. You're already battling cancer and now you have COVID um, Mm -hmm. on top of it. I mean, the complications are just... it, it's even just crazy of
0: fear of COVID like you're already in so much fear for your life having cancer and then you have this fear of of getting mm-hmm. other horrible disease and the fact that that disease is so preventable if people would just get back to it and wear masks and mm-hmm. you know do the things that they're supposed to be doing
2: and the issue of time is so important with my patients is how much time do I have left and how much quality time and um they're just so vulnerable. And so if they were to get COVID, maybe they would have had weeks to months. And then if they get COVID and their body can't fight it, that's time that they're not going to have with their friends or family or loved ones. Mm -hmm. Um, so So being mindful, I think is so important. And even if people out there don't interact with them, they need to know that, what they're choosing to do or not to do, it has an impact on the oncology population.
0: It's a global issue.
2: like yeah,
1: Right. And the reason why the virus has mutated and will continue to mutate is because not enough people got vaccinated um, and not enough people are, are social distancing the way they should. That's something people forget. Yeah. If you don't have to come in contact with anyone. You could... Never see another person. But if you're letting this virus live in you and mutate, um, that gets worse and worse. And so even just being a carrier, but not giving it to anyone is a bad thing. It's just going to get worse if we're not if we're not on top of this. So, Yeah,
2: yeah, we need to be proactive. We need to do the simple things that we can do. And we're not being asked to go overseas and fight a war we're not being asked to do anything that's, that's that huge. Mm -hmm. It's like just wear, wear a mask, get a vaccine so that you can protect people that are vulnerable. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. Thank, I'm glad you said that. And I think that's really Mm -hmm. probably the most pertinent issue right now. um, Especially for, for the clients you see and for anyone who. I mean, for everyone, but for anyone who's immunocompromised or, um, you know, has an illness, it matters to them and it matters to the people that love them.
2: It's so true. And I'm just glad that you all gave me a platform to represent them, Mm -hmm. um, because they're pretty much having to hide away from the world.
1: Yeah. We're so glad you got to come on here and talk about it and, Um, I know that there is probably so much more you, you could talk about. And I think this is one of those, like, we just kind of touched the surface of a lot of this. This is sort of like an introduction to art therapy for people listening. Um, and so maybe in the future, if you want, we'd love to have you back on and talk more in depth about particular, um, interventions or theories or stuff about with art therapy I would
2: would be honored it's it would be my pleasure um this has been wonderful a really great opportunity
0: yeah we really appreciate it I found this this episode super interesting
2: oh Um, thank you so much
0: like that's a piece that we don't really get you know we you know we're not art therapists you know we have different
1: Mm -hmm. different
0: um so it's super interesting
1: does it make you want to go paint Emily are you gonna
0: learn to crochet or to knit I do crochet I'm like on and off I actually started crocheting a scarf for you Stephanie but I um, I I just like haven't picked it up in a while but that is very soothing what you said Mm like the rest of it
2: so comforting, and then you have something like tangible that you that you make that you can give to somebody or that you can wear, and it's so practical. And you made it's me a-
0: that um head yeah.
2: the going away present. Yeah, oh, I rem- I've oh, seen yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just such this like symbol of love, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It, it is. It's such a sweet thing when someone makes you something yeah. that just means so much more. You know, it came. It really came from their heart. So their
2: hands. In their hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In their hands. Oh, well, thank you guys again so much for having me. This has been wonderful.
1: Yes. And we look forward to having you again soon. So Um, that would be fabulous.
0: So if you enjoyed this episode, please share with friends and family and also follow us. And if you don't mind, we would love a rating and review on Apple Podcasts.
1: Yes. And don't forget to follow our Instagram for updates on new episodes. Um, information about our guests and information about, um, every episode, small business shout out. So you can follow us on at just mental health podcast. That's with a period between each word. This is Steph
0: and M and Laura signing off. Thanks. Thank
2: you.